Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is the Gator Nation Football Podcast with Alan Williams and James DiVirgilio. Now we know we're just a bunch of average stiffs. Snap to Greer. Greer looking, looking, looking. Throws the ball. Got a receiver. There's a catch made on the near sideline. Down the right side, 35-30. It'll be Callaway down the sideline. He's going to score. He's going to score. He's going to score. It's a touchdown. Oh, my. Oh, my. Antonio Callaway, 63-yard touchdown. Just saw magic. Wow, what a night, what a victory. Big win for the Gators, and welcome back to the Gator Nation Football Podcast. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Alan Williams. I'm with my co-host James DiVirgilio, who is actually traveling in Maryland. So he's joining us by cell phone. Say what's up, James. Alan, great to be here. It's a it's a long distance, but I still feel like I'm sitting right next to you, which is which is fantastic. And my voice obviously is only halfway here, which is only because of the greatness that we saw this Saturday in the swamp. One of the best moments I've had in the swamp. Amazing. I, I think I tweeted out top ten moment in the swamp for me. It was really incredible. Uh, I loved being there. I loved getting to experience that. It was really incredible. We got to hear Mick on the call, classic. McHubert moment there. Uh, wow. Just, yeah, tell me a little bit what it was like for you. Uh, we were sitting only about a couple feet apart from each other. What was it like in the swamp? Well, the swamp was, was really very disappointing, I felt like, for a long period of time. There was that huge block in the student section that was empty for the majority, if not the entire game, 50-yard line, upper level. Um, there were a lot of empty seats even on the alumni side, which surprised me. I felt like there was going to be more energy in the stadium than that. I felt like the game was more crowded on game on game one rather than the Tennessee game. But uh, obviously the last eight minutes in the fourth quarter was where we made our money at, as fans, and it's where the swamp sort of re-cements its legend as being what it is. I mean, the game got exciting. We scored. We stopped them on the three and out. There was complete bedlam in the swamp. And obviously, when Callaway runs down the sideline, it was it was the moment that was as loud and as frenetic as just about any other one. Um, you and I, of course, at the time were mosh pitting, like I assume most other people in in the stands were. You know, we were just I can't I don't know how we weren't injured. We're jumping on top of each other, we're flying off the bleachers, uh, we're huddling around, we're circling, we're high fiving, we're just losing our collective minds 
it was a, it was a wonderful moment. So the end of the game was incredible. The first three quarters, you know, I thought it was a pretty average to below average fan experience for the Swamp, and and maybe it's just because we haven't become a consistent, exciting winner yet. And I'm hoping we'll get some of that back. I mean, what what were your initial takes? On the yeah, crowd? I mean, you're right. It was it was a little dead. I think partly the crowd, partly it's a weirdly disjointed game with all the stops in play, all of the referee stuff. But man, those last eight minutes of game time or so, I mean, that's really that's why you show up and go to college football games because it doesn't get any more exciting than that. Exhilarating. I mean, I, I don't know. I can't even really put into words how just chaotic and crazy it was and just, you know, pure pandemonium. Everyone, like you said, losing their collective mind. So uh, tense moment there at the end, you know, with the field goal and everything. Uh, but we pulled it out. So let's let's relive there at the end of the game. You know, the highlight of the, the evening, those last few drives, you know, we're down two scores. Tennessee seemingly had put the dagger in, but we responded. What what had to happen for all that to be possible? What what went right for us? <laughs> what went right is, is finally things started to go right, obviously. But I know when Will came back out on the field, there was this just mixture of sort of, have we given this game away? Are they about to steal a game from us that they don't necessarily deserve, running the same play on offense and, and getting a few trick plays? And we seemed more multiple and more dangerous, but we hadn't scored. And uh, I just remember employing, employing Will from my incredible seat in the 89th row for that game. Uh, you know, we really got <laughs> really had great seats for this one. But I remember just saying, come on, Will, like this is your moment. This is what you have to do. You know, the team's body language was down. Uh, we noted that most of the guys were hanging their heads. I don't want to say they had given up. You don't know that from where we're sitting. However, it was clear that one guy hadn't, and that was Will Greer. And he, he obviously put the team on his back uh, and carried them and willed them into a victory. Certainly guys played their roles and they assisted him. But, I mean, this was an example of a guy becoming a leader on a team that didn't have leaders and writing a chapter in Florida Gator football lore that will never go away. No one can take this moment from Will Greer and from this football team because what they did in the last 10 minutes is just not done very often, period, at this level of sport. And to watch him as a redshirt freshman in his first ever true, he's the quarterback the whole game situation was was something special. Yeah, it was really amazing. I, you know, you said a couple times – and stands like you know, something to the effect of, okay, Will, here's your chance to step up and be the man. You know, become the quarterback that we want you to be. And he really came through. And, you know, I love this about him. He's not scared. You know, there's those are some big throws he had to make in fourth and long. We can talk about the fourth downs. But it never seems like, even if the game's gone, you know, not his way so far, that he's the moment's not too big for him. He's ready to, ready to rally to the occasion. And I thought that was maybe his defining quality on Saturday is his willingness to step into that, those moments and, and make big plays. Oh, I mean, the guy was five for five, 125 yards and one touchdown on fourth down. Going back to the Kentucky game, he scored that running touchdown on fourth down. I mean, I don't know. Is he, is he will to thrill? I mean, is there a good nickname for this guy? I mean, it's like, it, he, he's calmer the bigger the moment and there's just not many guys that are like that and so to see that is the biggest plus any Gator fan can have you win the NFL and in college football by building around a quarterback that's how you win and what we saw on Saturday while no guarantee of future success has been what we've been saying each week 
We felt like the ceiling with Will Greer was very high. We felt like he could make a wide variety of throws, which were on display in that last fourth quarter when he made a wide variety of throws, checkdowns, out routes, off-platform throws to the opposite side of the field, running the ball in the pocket to get outside and make that scramble throw to Jake McGee. This guy's doing everything a quarterback that the senior would be able to do technically, and he's doing it as a freshman, and he's doing it on fourth down in the biggest moment at the biggest time, and it was truly special to see that. And obviously it felt great since I think both you and I felt like it's sort of right of the ship and what was an otherwise really weird game. Yeah, so let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, obviously a lot had to go wrong for us to be in the hole in the first place. Uh, what really got us there? Why did we need a miracle finish to beat a seemingly not that great Tennessee team? Yeah, certainly it had a lot to do with a, a variety of things, mainly on the defensive end. I think Tennessee had a brilliant game plan as far as pregame strategy on both sides of the ball. They clearly came in expecting not to be able to pass. They tried to pass early, got sacked twice, basically abandoned it for the rest of the game, went strictly to the zone read, uh, to Dobbs rolling out, and to trick plays. They timed him perfectly. They hit him when they needed to. And on the flip side of the ball, they were content to sit their safety sometimes 30 and 40 yards off the ball in single high. They were content to have their corners run over the top of our receivers in an effort to just keep everything underneath and in front of them. And it really worked to perfection, but I, I couldn't help but feel like there were, there was some luck going on there. Aside from the first touchdown they had with a throwback, which they totally earned. We were right there on that fourth down. We weren't fooled by it. And the max talked a lot about being ready for trick plays, but what really baffled me more than anything was the fact that we knew they were going to want to run the ball. The zone read is the most basic spread option play that there is in football. Everyone's practiced it and seen it, and we could not stop it. And we primarily couldn't stop it because we couldn't make a tackle. And lastly, Jeff Collins stuck us in his favorite nickel cover, too, and would not come out of it. We corner blitzed and ran some other stuff, but we refused to bring our second safety in the box to help tackle, primarily because I'm thinking that Jeff is assuming we're going to be able to wind up just making the tackle. Guys are in the right position. They'll make a play. But how many people do we see with Morrison, Hargraves, virtually everybody, maybe not named Marcus May and Bullard and some of the linemen? I mean, that that's how I saw it. I mean, it was what really were some tough. of the things you saw that led to it? Yeah. Yeah, the missed tackles were the thing that continued to plague this defense. And, and speaking about Collins, and I'll work backwards through your comments here, I think he kept saying, well, you know, we can play this cover two where we're, we're playing – kind of safe on the back end with our safeties or we, you know, because if we could just tackle, we would have shut them down. It seemed like our guys for the most part were in the right places and just couldn't come up with the tackle. And that was really frustrating. So I think he, he probably just felt if we can just tackle, you know, and then also uh, we're so paper thin at linebacker as we've spoken of, maybe he just didn't. He's like, if we put in another linebacker, we might get torched on the back end. But it was crazy that every time they dropped back to pass almost, we were putting such pressure. They couldn't do anything more than like, you know, a screen pass or a swing pass. But uh, I, that first half was so strange. felt like everything went against the Gators, whether it was, you know, phantom. Not I don't know if it was a phantom, but those fumbles that weren't even reviewed, which is kind of mind-blowing, uh, just – Missing out on those trick plays that we seemingly should have been ready for in some sense. Uh, 
you know, we just couldn't get untracked on offense. It was like, man, we were just sputtering when we needed to be hitting the gas. And it was really frustrating to watch because it didn't feel like, oh, we're getting outmatched by Tennessee and they're up way ahead. Just we cannot find a groove here and we can't get a break, really. Um, and so that was super frustrating. I know you were really frustrated by the special teams as well. I, I was. And, you know, Greg Nord, this is really his first go at being a special teams coordinator solely. Uh, he also works with the tight ends, and obviously the tight ends have done great, and that's what, that's what he was. He was a tight end. That's where he played. That's his experience. But our special teams really all year long has left a lot to be desired. And the Tennessee game, I, I was atrocious. I mean, I find myself on virtually every kickoff holding my breath, hoping they weren't going to take it back to the house. Uh, we're committing penalties I don't know, 70% of the time on a special teams play, we're, we're committing a penalty. A lot of times they're unnecessary. I mean, the block that we had when Callaway broke it was way after Callaway was already through the line. So it, it's too early to judge Greg Nord right now, but I'll put Greg Nord on notice and say, I'm not loving what I'm seeing out of this unit. I mean, it's the least reliable one. It seems to be undisciplined. It just doesn't, it's not inspiring any confidence. And of course we had a we had a new kicker come in who I thought actually did a commendable job. I mean, he, he doesn't have the same leg Harding does. You can't really blame him for kicking some of those short. But, I mean, there's just – there's a big question mark there now going forward. I, I just don't have any confidence in that in the close game. It's it's a worry for me. Agreed. Uh, this used to be a strength of the Gators under Urban Meyer. We won some games because of special teams, and, you know, and really separated ourselves. So that's an area that should be – able to be improved on with, you know, the amount of like athleticism we have on our roster. Um, yeah, a lot went wrong, but then a lot went right. You know, amazing to see Antonio Callaway turn that corner. Uh, one of my favorite moments in the swamp. Uh, you know, one thing I wanted to say about these guys too, is, uh, a lot of gutsy play guys playing with some injuries. We saw Bullard go off the field, come back. We saw Antonio Riles go off the field, come back. Everyone, I think, was aware that VH3 was was banged up. Um, so, And then, of course, Greer taking a lot of hits, sometimes slow to get up off the field and keep moving forward. So I love that those guys kept fighting and really were willing to put it on the line. Um, so that was a, those. I wanted to say that, too. You know, we're kind of pinpointing some weak areas there, but those guys did play with a lot of heart. And and sometimes playing with a lot of heart, I think, it hurt you. I thought that, that Vernon Hargrave had his worst game at a, as a Gator, and he obviously has back issues. You know, we got word before the game that he had visited a chiropractor the night before. It was evident he was in pain. And, and ultimately, in a game where the other team is not attempting to pass, and I know this is really hard to do, having played sports myself, you don't want to take yourself out of the game. And I'm not suggesting you should have, but I am suggesting at some point in time when a guy is out there pretending he's Deion Sanders, he doesn't want to tackle anybody, you're hurting your team. I mean, there must have been four or five just complete missed tackles from a guy who historically is a pretty sure tackler. Vernon Hargraves is not a guy that normally misses tackles, so I have no doubt it was because of the injury. But Tennessee's running the ball every time. They're in a predictable run plays, and they're escaping because they're getting to the edge, and, and, we're, and we're missing tackles, particularly Vernon. So, yeah, while it was gutsy, I agree with you there. Uh, sometimes you just have to wonder if there's a situation when you got to say, hey, is this best for the team? And I know there's a lot that goes into that. We could spend a whole podcast talking about, is that right or wrong? What does that mean? Does it mean you're not tough? But I did notice that there were four or five tackles that he missed there that hurt us. Bullard, on the other hand, was not only gutsy, but maybe even heroic. I mean, the guy has taken a huge step forward this year. 
he's really an incredible lineman, and, and I don't know where we would be without him. I certainly hope he heals up quickly for the old Miss game. Yeah, and here's where the selfishness ultimately of Jalen Tabor, you know, refusing to take that drug test comes in. Where if we had another caliber of his corner, maybe Vernon wouldn't have been forced to play. So, uh, regardless, Gators get the win. And, you know, big ups to those guys for for gutting it out. And speaking of gutting it out, one of our favorite units each week that we talk about the offensive line, three freshmen on the line going up against. A Tennessee defense that's average. They're not amazing. They have talent. They haven't put it all together yet. How do you think they, they did? How would you grade them after this performance? You know, I would give them uh, a B minus. You know, and it, it feels like maybe I'm grading on a curve a little bit. You know, we had so very low expectations for this unit, and they've met those. That feels like a backhanded compliment, but they've been, we've said each week, they've been decent, adequate enough for us to win. And I think that says a lot. Like you said, we're playing three true freshmen. I mean, that usually that's a death sentence in the SEC. And so the fact that those guys were able to put together, give us just enough to win. And in crucial moments, you know, on those fourth down plays, they, they got, uh, got it done. Now there was certainly a lot of whiffs and, you know, blown assignments and they still struggle with more complicated defensive packages. But, uh, I love that they uh, were able to step up. You know, and this is another big test. We talked frequently on the podcast about how each week in our schedules represented an increased challenge, one more rung up the ladder. And you know what? This is the best line that they faced thus far, and they've they've handled that. So they keep rising to the challenge. Uh, I think it was helpful to have Ivy in there, another big body to go up against some of those guys. So I love that they, uh, you know, were able to put it together enough. And and speaking of putting it together enough on the O line, surprising to you that Tennessee knew our weakness was that we didn't handle the stunts and the delayed blitzes very well, which they used, they sprinkled throughout the game. Are you surprised in the fourth quarter, the last two drives, they virtually stopped doing anything with regards to a stunt or a delayed blitz. They brought three guys frequently. Did that surprise you, given that sense to be our, our weakness, and it was still the weakness in the Tennessee game? Well, it's strange. You're right. I mean, especially considering how uh, ballsy, I guess, you know, Butch Jones was in the first half, and then he totally turtled up in the second half. I mean, they got so conservative on offense. I mean, that last possession they had, they basically looked like they kneeled it. You know, that third down play, they looked like they told Dobbs to just – you take a couple steps back and lay down. They didn't bring pressure, you know, that, and I think, it, you know, that's another reason that they lost the game is because they went so incredibly conservative. They went, they didn't go for two, which is, you know, Butch Jones is getting killed for uh, after the game, you know, those on their last touchdown. Uh, I, I don't know if I'm, should be surprised or maybe that's uh, Butch Jones's MO. Maybe he gets super conservative. I've, I've heard a criticism of him that his in-game management is terrible. So, I don't know. What about you? Were you surprised? Yeah, I was I was very surprised. I mean, to me, it was it was a, a, a just quintessential tactical error when you had a really solid strategy. You know, strategy is your big-picture vision of what you're going to do, and tactics are your sort of in-the-moment in action. And really not surprised because you've watched Tennessee do this. I mean, this is the same team that had 12 guys in the field that had cost them the game back in the day. Uh, they they trolled up against Oklahoma. They we watched it happen before our own eyes. Now, in fairness to Butch, 
it wasn't like they were throwing the ball before that. I mean, they were just handing it off and it was working. So finally, we made some stops. We brought several corner blitzes on that last drive, which helped. But obviously, he, he bundled what was really a perfect game plan and scenario up until then by being way too conservative. I heard Booger McFarland say after the game on ESPN that Bush was, was so conservative, and when you're a player and you feel that way, uh, it just sort of makes you passive, and you're not ready to make a play. And when the big moments happen, you're kind of a spectator. And I think we saw that a lot with Will Muschamp, how the team lost energy and momentum. And uh, ultimately, it wound up costing Tennessee and benefiting us, which is which is fantastic. And it benefited us while we had so many young players in the field. Let's talk about the offense. This is a young offense. Yes, extremely. We already mentioned playing three true freshmen across the offensive line. Uh, and th- think about that last amazing play. You had a redshirt freshman throw, completing a pass to a true freshman and then picking up a huge block by a true sophomore. I mean, everywhere across the line, the only guy that really has any kind of experience is Jake McGee at tight end. Um, and just you see these young guys stepping up and making huge plays. Uh, you know, that recruiting class that McElwain closed so strong with, those guys are all showing up for the most part. And, you know, none bigger than Antonio Callaway, who was, um, you know, really incredible on that last play. And, of course, he made a few other plays, had a potential big punt return. So that's really maybe the most encouraging thing for this offense is they're able to perform at this level while still being so young. It's really surpassing probably what they should be capable of. It certainly feels like we've got a huge boost forward in the recruiting game. If you look around not only the SEC, but even at Florida State and other programs, there's a dearth of good quarterback play. And if you can go out in the recruiting pitch and say, you're going to get to play with Will Greer. You're going to, get to play with these guys. Our offense is going to be here. We are going to win things. That allows you to recruit on both sides of the ball, which is really important. We talked about it in the beginning of the season. We talked about it before the season. We're talking about it now. Will Greer had the ceiling. He had to be the guy. That's the best thing that came out of the game besides just a win, is that Will Greer, although during the game he certainly made some bad throws, you always have to remind yourself as a viewer that he's a freshman. He's going to make those throws. The flip side of the coin is that he is spending a lot of his time making incredible throws that most college quarterbacks don't make at any point in time in their career. And when you see one of those, you've got to know this is something special. And on a, on a slightly sad note, Demarcus Robinson, Alan, I mean, what, what did you see out of him in the game? I mean, what, is he disappearing or what's going on? Well, everyone knows he's always been a bit of a head case. You know, that bad drop that almost sunk us. Uh, there on the last drive seems to not always run his routes um, completely uh, just a very frustrating player dances when he should be going upfield uh, yeah obviously a, a ton of raw talent uh, and as I think you've said before a typical Muschamp player like size speed strength with no kind of sense of how to use it um, but yeah very frustrating guy we need to get him on the same page with Greer if our offense is going to take another step forward, your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, that, they look like they're playing two different games. There were several balls where, where Greer was throwing deep and, and Robinson ran it out. Now we can't know as, as viewers if, if Greer's right and Robinson's wrong. We can know on that, on that seam route, Robinson just stopped running. I thought Greer threw an absolute dime on the seam 
I think it was late third quarter, early fourth quarter, and Robinson just literally slows down when he gets past the linebacker and he gets beneath the safety on a perfectly thrown ball. And you can you can tell they're not on the same page. And uh, you know, I just we need we need Robinson is an explosive playmaker. I don't know if he's going to be able to get the attention detail down, but clearly going back to the youth movement, you're seeing these guys. Uh, obviously, Callaway and Powell, these guys are running crisp routes, and they are on the same page with Greer. I mean, you saw Greer hit both of those guys, and, of course, Jake McGee, on big ball after big ball after big ball, and that is super encouraging. So aside from the guys we know, the McGees of the world, the guys that have been mentioning from the beginning of the podcast, who surprised you in this game? Well, you kind of made a reference to him earlier. i got to give big props to my man Jorge Powell, uh, our replacement kicker, who I think – performed ab- admirably in a really tough situation, made all of his extra points, which seems like nothing, but, you know, it's not a gimme, as we've seen from Austin Harden. And then, on a big play, stuck his nose in there when they broke a long return and made a great tackle. So I love that that guy stepped up. And I think maybe most of my enjoyment is the fact that his name is Jorge. At least we think it is. Um, <laughs> what about for you? Anybody uh, stand out to you? Maybe, a sub- like you said, a surprise player? Yeah, hip hip Jorge, right? I mean, the tackle he made was fantastic. I mean, the guy just went low and, and put him down, which our defense wasn't wasn't going low for a lot of the game. But my surprise player, and it, it, this guy's a known guy, was was Marcus May. I mean, I've I've kind of picked on Marcus May before. I don't think he's a great safety when it comes to true coverage and making reads. But what, what we knew was that he was a good run stopper. What we learned against Tennessee is that he's probably an elite John Lynch-style run-stopper. I mean, this guy was incredible. He was a one-man wrecking crew when he was near the line of scrimmage, tackling anyone and everybody that had the ball, going through blocks. I thought he played his best game as a Gator. I'm not sure we win the game without him. And uh, just fantastic. I mean, what a game from Marcus May. I was really, really impressed with him. When he's moving forward like that and just flying at the ball, he's really impressive and a guy we need to play really well in those nickel packages if we're going to continue to play those almost exclusively. So, well, especially since we have no linebackers. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Exactly. Any last thoughts here? I think overall a fun stat is that I remember losing to LSU at LSU in 2007. And at that game, I, I just vividly remember walking out of the stadium and thinking to myself, that's one of the most maddening experiences I've ever had. LSU went for what seems like a million fourth downs, and they got all of them. And I left, and they stole the game from us. And, you know, I mean, Les Miles is crazy. He's the Mad Hatter. Well, we just did the same thing. LSU went five for five against us on fourth downs in that game, and they beat us. And we just went five for five, obviously, against Tennessee. I'm not saying we're going to win a national title. But my closing thought and impression is, man, it felt really good to be on the other side of getting every single fourth down and being able to really enjoy a moment where you're just thinking, I don't know how we're going to win this game. We're probably going to lose this game to, oh, my gosh, we've got a chance to, oh, my goodness, we've just won. This is incredible. And so closing thought is, wow, that was spectacular to be a part of. We saw a lot of good things. Still plenty of things to be worried about going forward, which we'll get into the second half of the program from my end, a lot of which has to do with the defense, which is surprising given what we know. How about you? What were some of your concluding thoughts? Well, yeah, just as we get to the end of Tennessee here, we actually, I guess, both predicted that we'd be 4-0, but actually getting there and kind of the experience of it 
it's pretty satisfying that this really young Gators team has gotten to 4-0 and picked up some really uh, important momentum, maybe season-altering wins. And so uh, I think that's just something to celebrate as that's not a given considering how our schedule started off and uh, the way the team was beginning the season. And now we want to move forward and talk to our Gator Nation guests. It's a treat to have Doug Johnson, a former Gator quarterback, on. So we're going to move to that now. All right, I'm on now with Doug Johnson, former University of Florida quarterback from 96 to 99. Also played in the NFL for seven years with the Atlanta Falcons and a few other teams. Doug, thanks so much for joining us here. Thanks for being here. So we just got to see a really incredible game in the Swamp uh, this weekend. Uh, You were involved in what some people say is the greatest game in the Swamp, the 97 game against FSU, where you got to throw a pretty incredible pass. Can you maybe just relive that, what that was like for us for a few minutes? Yeah, I mean, it was an exciting game. Everybody looks back as one throw, but um, Florida State was ranked top in the country and kind of had a couple slips that year. So it was good to go in and kind of get, give them a, a hiccup in their season. Um, uh, a season that we we felt like we had a really good team, but obviously um, we had a, bump, a couple bumps in the roads uh, that year that didn't allow us to achieve our goals. But um, we did end up winning 10 games, which is something to be said, especially now in the Gator Nation. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, amazing how quick it goes by um and i think that uh that was my true sophomore year uh, um a year that you know you you learn from as especially as a young player i think a um, career is going to learn a lot from this year uh, playing ups and downs and we're going to have to live that through uh being fans of his and and uh you know fans are going to have to be patient with him because he's going to um He's going to have make some mistakes, and and he's going to learn from them. And I think that's one of the, the positive things you're seeing right now is a kid that can bounce back um, through you know a, a game this past week where he wasn't really necessarily playing great, but he he made a play to um, to win the game and and kept in the game. So um, you know I don't I don't think Tennessee's the Tennessee of old. Uh, it definitely wasn't the Tennessee that I was playing against back in the day when when you know, national championship team and Peyton Manning teams and all that, that, that they never beat us, which I like to throw that in there, but definitely, you know, it is a, it is a quality opponent and it's, it's definitely a step in the right direction for this program. Oh, for sure. And yeah, what, speaking of Wilger, what impresses you the most about him? Yeah, I don't, we really hadn't seen enough of him yet, but I think it's scrambling um, ability is, um, he's definitely, um, talented in that arena. Um, I think he runs better than a lot of people expected. I wouldn't say he's necessarily a great thrower, uh, but he's definitely adequate enough and he can, you know, but he anticipates throws, which is um, good for a young player right now. Um, Usually young players like to see it before they throw it, see it before they let it go. And he does a pretty good job of letting it go and before it develops and um, that is positive to see. You can tell he's been coached. So, and, and you know, the, the intangibles are stuff you can't coach. Um, playing, playing tough, uh, not riding emotional roller coasters through a game, and playing the fourth quarter like you know is better than the first. And he does that well. So, 
um, the coaching staff has always known that he they he is the guy. They wanted him to be the guy. They were waiting for him to kind of step in and be the guy. And this past week, is I think it kind of solidified him as the guy. Not saying that he can't go on and have some bumps and you know during the season and have some bad games, but he he's shown some resiliency and 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 playing. Um, in some tougher games and playing an entire game. And that's positive to see. Yeah, for sure. I think it was everyone's encouraged to see him step up in those moments there with a ton of pressure. Yeah, can you tell us from what you remember what it's like uh, in those kind of critical moments having to step up and make a big throw? What do you remember about your time at UF? Well, I think that just the fact that he's, they were able to convert so many fourth downs, I mean, that's kind of kept him in the game, um, says a lot. You know, like I said, I don't think he played his best game. You know, I think he, you know, he made some mistakes, but he looks as though he, he shakes off mistakes, and that's stuff you want to look for in young players because they bounce back either off of a bad series or a bad play, and he does does a pretty good job turning the page. Um, so, I mean, it, it, when you play UF, every – Every game's a pressure situation. I mean, you're expected to win at UF, and that expectation is still there in the fans. Um, but a lot of it's just attitude and confidence. Um, you know, in the 90s, we it wasn't a, a really a question of whether we were going to win. It was a question of how much we were going to win by. That's what our benchmark was. Um, and now it seems that, you know, we're just trying to squeak by with some wins. So confidence will does a lot for a team if this team can get confident and this 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 one will help them move to the next game, move to the next game, move to the next game. It's kind of a you know, it'll spread. And that's to me is the biggest factor of a team is just playing with some confidence because everyone has talent, but you can definitely tell the teams that get down in a game and they they kind of have the old here we go again expression. So this team can get some talent. Um some talent with some confidence. You know, who knows what can what can happen. I'm a big fan of McElwain. I think he's a very positive guy. I think he's a guy that you enjoy playing for. Um, I think he's a fun coach. And we're gonna we're gonna be an offensive minded team now, and that's uh, that's gonna be exciting to watch. I I was a big fan of Muschamp, but it seemed like everything bounced the wrong way when when Will was here. I don't think a lot of that was – I think a lot of that was out of, out of his control. I mean, this Pats game, if it was last year, we would have called a timeout and the, the kid would have missed it, and then the next attempt he would have made it. This year he didn't make it. So it's just the little things like that. I think, you know, well, uh, the ball bounce in the last – the ball bounce in Norway is, is pretty important. So you got to play in both the NFL and college. Can you tell us a little bit about uh... – just what's different about those two things, and what do you remember most fondly from uh, your time at UF? Well, I mean, I, I, obviously playing in the SEC, that, that it was a step up going to the next level, but it wasn't that big of a step. Um, you know, the, the, the windows kind of closed a little bit faster, you know, when you're playing against defensive backs and, in the NFL compared to um, college. But you know, other than that, it's, it's kind of the same thing. The, the locker rooms aren't as as tight in the NFL as they are in college. That's one thing you miss playing at um, in the collegiate level. But there's just, there are some pros in the uh, – some advantages of playing in the NFL, obviously. But um, 
that the team closeness isn't definitely isn't there as it is in college. And do you have a, a moment though that you remember maybe just standing out for you of your time at UF? Um, you know, there's we play in big games every week. We're always in contention. We were always ranked in the top five and we were always mentioned of, you know, winning it all. So I mean, that's kind of the best thing about playing at UF. Um you get to play against top opponents. You get to, you know, you're, you're you're referred to as a program that has a chance every year. I mean, think about all the programs that are never ever mentioned of having a chance. Doesn't matter what they do in recruiting. So that's the exciting thing about playing at University of Florida. I think it has the best the best home stadium there is in college football. Um, it's, I think it's the loudest place to play in college football. Um, so it's it's um, the, the alumni. The alumni portion of the University of Florida is pretty amazing, especially when you start traveling around the United States after playing. You realize how many people are are behind that program. So it's it's a great place to play. Um, it's it it should be a a place that's respected, um, and you 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 don't realize it until you leave. And it's um, I, I'm I tell you I'm truly blessed to be able to, to have been able to go there because I don't think a lot of kids realize how special a place it is. So your playing career uh, over now, I think people would love to know just what you're up to. What is your life like now? Life is like now. Um, I'm married. I've got two kids. I've got a 10-year-old daughter and a 7-year-old son. Uh, I own a, a commercial insurance agency here located here in Gainesville. And you know, it's just kind of back to normal life. Uh, I do some um, some charity work. I work with some kids off the field as far as uh, some private sessions in the football world. And um, just, you know, I'm a dad. So that's that's a fun part of life. Uh, for sure. And so uh, we've asked this of all of our other guests. Do you have a favorite restaurant here in Gainesville? Ooh, favorite restaurant? i got to be kind of loyal to... Uh, Favorite restaurant in Gainesville? That's a, that's a good question. I, I'm, you know, I live out in Melrose on Lake Santa Fe. Um, Blue Water Bay is kind of near and dear to my heart in Melrose. Um, so we, I, I do, I do eat there a lot. But I've got to say, um, you know, between between Embers is, I, I got to say, is probably one of the, the better ones out here. Uh, um, uh, but I do also like going to Wahoos for the for the atmosphere and the food is kind of a different change up too as well. Okay, and let me get a little prediction from you here. What do you think the Gators' record the rest of the season might be, and do you expect them to win this weekend hosting Ole Miss? I definitely wouldn't say I would expect them to win. I think they can win. I think anyone can beat anybody in the SEC, with the exception of you know maybe Vanderbilt, but. Um, but I mean, the expectation of, to, of beating Ole Miss right now is—I wouldn't—I wouldn't put that pressure on them. But they're—they're going to play free. They're not—they're going to play with nothing to lose, which makes them a dangerous team, especially when you're playing a team like that at their place. And it's—it's going to be loud, and it's going to be a hostile environment. So it's going to—they'll definitely have a chance. They just can't—they can't make a bunch of mistakes that they have to overcome. That's what they can't do. So they just got to stay in the game, stay in the fourth, keep building confidence, and who knows what will happen. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Doug Johnson. Thank you for being on. Really appreciate that. And uh, thanks for sharing some of your memories and some of your thoughts for this year. Thank you.
Well, that was really good to hear from Doug Johnson, a former Gators quarterback, talking uh, about a current Gators quarterback, Will Greer, and saying some interesting things. But let's turn now and talk about how Will Greer and those Gators are going to fare against Ole Miss this weekend. James, we've had a little bit of a checkered past recently against Ole Miss. All I can remember are losses. And when you go back and look at it, 2002, 2003, a win in 2007, and then another loss in 2008. So three of our last four games against Ole Miss have been losses. So, in fact, I'm correct to think that all we do is lose against them. What are your memories when you think of Ole Miss? It seems crazy to the fact that we've lost three or four of them considering they've been such a doormat historically. And this is coming in the period where Florida's been mostly successful. It wasn't like these games happened in the 50s, you know. But So I definitely remember a game. It was one of those Ron Zook years with Rex Grossman. And we were playing, I believe, a noon kick um, in Ox- Oxford, which means that it was really 11 o'clock for our guys. And Rex Grossman maybe played the worst game I've ever seen from a accomplished quarterback. Um, I don't think they moved the ball past midfield most of the game. And the only times they scored were on our interceptions. I mean, we've been, we would have been better off kneeling and punting, you know, the classic must champ strategy. I mean, the open secret around campus back then uh, was that Rex was quite the partier. So one can only assume he was suffering quite the hangover that morning. And I don't know any other reason for him playing that atrocious. It was like an inexplicable result given our talent discrepancy back then. And hopefully as we go into to this weekend, we won't see a sleepwalk performance. And I think <laughs> I think you summed it up well. My my memory really of Old Miss is like 11 a.m. games on Jefferson Pilot, and and just always losing to West teams, no matter who our coach was. <laughs> it seemed to be the theme. This is a night game. It's in the swamp. It, it's different. It's huge. Old Miss is favored by seven points in this game, which is probably being generous to us, I would think, uh, with the Vegas line there. What are what are some of your thoughts coming into this game regarding their personnel? They've got a lot of high powered guys. I mean, what are we what are you thinking? Who are you worried about? Well, yeah, I think the story of this game is some of Ole Miss's, you know, high wattage players. Uh Laquan Laquan Treadwell on offense and the Kim Dichis on defense, uh, especially Robert, their defensive lineman. I, Treadwell is a monster at receiver. He's huge. I think that could give us real problems. Uh, everyone knows that VH3 isn't the biggest guy, although he competes. Tapers a lot bigger. Wilson's a lot bigger. I, I, I don't feel as crazy at that spot, but where I'm super worried is just Robert Kondici absolutely obliterating our offensive line, especially the interior. He lines up a defensive tackle most of the time, and he is lightning into the backfield. I could see him having like five sacks He's so disruptive. I'm quite concerned about um, how we're going to be able to even hope to contain him. It feels a lot like when we had Dominic Easley, and he could be a one-man defensive line exactly. that would just that would just get through on his own. He sort of created his own pressure, created his own sacks, and that's not normal. You see that out of a guy playing the tackle position. Obviously, Treadwell is is a beast. Chad Kelly, the quarterback, very checkered past. His uncle is Jim Kelly. So he comes from a great quarterbacking pedigree, but this guy, as we, as you and I have talked about, he has a very checkered pass. He gets kicked out of Clemson uh, for basically yelling at Dabo Sweeney at a spring game for not going for it on fourth down. 
in front of everyone. And then, you know, a couple a couple of days later, he's out of the program for a pattern of behavior issues. He got kicked out of his high school. He's just sort of been this hard luck guy um, because he's, quote, too competitive has kind of been the thought. And here he is now at Ole Miss coming into the swamp. He was obviously very successful in the road game at Alabama. And like you mentioned, he has tremendous weapons around him. Ole Miss is averaging the most points scored in the country. Uh, their offense is, is averaging, you know, 500 yards a game, although they've been a little slower this past few games. They're very, very explosive. They're certainly by far the most explosive and multiple team that we've seen coming into the swamp. Um, there's a lot of things for us to worry about. However, they looked a little bit more human in the Vanderbilt game than they have before. Uh, certainly Vanderbilt played a great game, didn't turn the ball over one time. Old Miss turned it over twice, which is kind of the recipe we're going to have to follow. Uh, as we get into it this week, but there's there's a lot to digest and think about as they come in because this is an uber talented old Miss team. This is not the old Miss team of the past. This is not the old Miss team we used to lose to. This is a incredibly gifted team, and they are certainly more talented at most positions right now than we are. Uh, there's no doubt that we're an underdog. Yeah, and I I think I don't know whether to throw that Vandy game out the window, you know, because they're coming off that incredibly emotional win at Alabama, you know, you know, college football players and they're notorious for not being able to meet that standard, you know, every week cause they're human, you know? And, and so of course they're going to have a come down game against Vandy, but did that expose them as a little bit more mortal? And maybe they were way up against Bama and, you know, the, you know, we've seen them capable of playing at a much lower level against somebody like Vandy who had shown almost nothing up to that point in the season. Uh, I don't know what to think of them. I think they are potentially very erratic. We saw that last year and them having some very big wins and some humiliating losses. So uh, I don't know. They're, they're a hard team to read. They're, they're going to run uh, some stuff probably similar to what Tennessee exposed us on. Uh, how concerned are you about them just shredding us with the difficulties Josh Dobbs gave us? Yeah, I'm, I'm very concerned. You know, we, we, we tipped the hat a little bit to this coming here at the end, and, and I just feel like the defense has been a, a very big disappointment uh, now that we have four games under our belt. This was supposed to be the anchor of the team. They were supposed to carry us in a home game against Tennessee, your Biddle rival. The defense did not really help the offense much at all. Uh, the offense kind of didn't do well, but hung in there, hung in there, hung in there, and created their own luck, if you will, whereas the defense was continually – missing tackles and letting us down on very basic football plays. And now in comes a team in Ole Miss who's rolling on offense, even though they only scored 27 against Vanderbilt. Don't let that fool you. They were in the red zone three times, came away with a blocked field goal and two field goals out of it. So they just didn't produce in the final 20 yards, but they still put up 472 yards of offense. This team is still very potent. Um, they're very dangerous. But on the flip side of that coin, we could – if our defense makes tackles, play with this team. This is a team that had five turnovers generated against Alabama and still had to hang on to win. They basically had a perfect game scenario against Alabama. They didn't run away. They didn't crush them. Now, granted, Alabama's a fantastic football team, even if they're down like they might be this year. We can't boast the same thing right now, but ultimately, like you said, our tackling is a problem. Our ability to stop the zone read seems to be a problem. We're pretty solid if you line up and run the ball right at us, but that's not what they're going to do. I mean, they're going to absolutely run the zone read. Uh, Chad Kelly is an athlete. He's not He's not Dobbs, but I expect them to explore that zone read and see what's going to happen, and we are going to have to do a much better job of that because they are multiple 
they're not just going to run the ball. Um, so I, I have I have a lot of concerns about the defense, and I think, in fact, for us to be able to win, the defense is going to have to play to the caliber we expect them to. They're going to have to play as a top two or three SEC defense. They cannot be an average or below average unit if we expect to win this game. Agreed. And I, you know, we've seen from Chad Kelly that he's willing to take some risk. He's a little bit of a gunslinger. And that worked against Alabama. You know, they had some crazy things happen that, of course, that notorious like tip ball play. But I think we've got the secondary to make him pay if we're lined up right and we're getting pressure on him. So we could see the Gators turn him over uh, either sack fumble or, um, you know, uh, interceptions. But we've got to be disciplined and we've got to make tackles. We've got to put them in situations where they're in third and long and he's got to gamble a little bit. Otherwise, if they stay, um, you know, head of the chains, then it's going to be really difficult, you know, to keep them at a score that's reasonable. And let's talk about some keys to the game then this weekend. What's important for us to win? What's important for Ole Miss to lose and be vice versa? What do you what do you think has to happen for the Gators to come away with a, an upset? Well, it sounds super simple, but I think we've got to do a good job protecting Will Greer. And that's going to take a Herculean effort from this really young offensive line. Uh I, you know, I, I think if we execute a little bit better than we do, did against Tennessee, you know, on some of these, like, throws that were open over the middle in these seams uh, down the middle of the field, like, we could put some points up. But we've got to be sound in execution. We haven't really shown that we can do that for four quarters yet. It uh, doesn't mean we can't. And then, obviously, the turnover battle, it's so cliche, but this is going to be huge. If we give them cheap points, I don't know that we're going to, we're going to get into a hole. We're going to press, and then it could get really ugly. What yeah, I you? think what you just said, right? Yeah, I think what you said, right? There's a great, is actually a great way to say it. Cheap points. We could probably afford to turn the ball over once. I don't think we could do it twice. We could probably do it once, maybe twice in the perfect scenario. But we could, we would really need them to be non-cheap points. So basically, no points. And if we drop down to their forty and turn the ball over, they don't score out of it. But we cannot give this team points. We can't let them get rolling. We need the game to go. A little bit when you get into halftime with there being a close game, get the crowd into it, let the team hang in there. Uh, this is a team, like you said, that can be beaten primarily because of their quarterback, Chad Kelly, is a wild card. This is not a team that's going to methodically punish you. There are wild cards there. They do play an athletic style of ball, which tends to lead itself to upsets. Um, so I, I'm going to be looking for the defense, obviously, to make tackles. I'm going to be watching how we line up, what we do. Do we, do we leave Vernon on? Uh, Treadwell for most of the game one-on-one. Are we, are we going to stand in nickel cover two? How are we going to address some of the weaknesses we had last week? So I'll, I'll be watching for how we stop their run. They love to be balanced. They almost try to equal their pass attempts and their run attempts in every single game. We're going to need to do something to negate one of those. I think if we can negate their run game and make them a little one-dimensional in the pass game to play to our strength, which is what we couldn't do against Tennessee, that will be big. And then on offense, I think I, I need Will Greer to be the quarterback. I mean, I know McElwain came out again today and said that uh, you know, Greer, Greer is still not the guy. He's still considering others. And whether this is just the world's longest, most monumental mental play or, or, or it's legitimate and, and a guy who just gets suspended during rivalry week for, for you know, quote-unquote smoking weed that, that no one's going to talk about, I don't understand how this guy can't be your quarterback. Yes, he's making bad throws. Yes, he's a freshman. We've covered this a million times. Greer's got to be the guy. I feel like he's got to be the guy the whole game. And I'm a bit concerned that here we are again where Greer's going to come to this huge game 
And it's going to be like, what if he makes a bad throw or two? Is he looking over his shoulder? Is he waiting for Trayon to come in? Does McIlwain get cute because he's so itchy for points? So that's a concern of mine. So I guess I'd want to say I'd want to see consistency at the quarterback spot. Um, but I think, like you said, really cheap points is going to be big in this game if we want to have a shot to win. We have to have that happen if there's any chance of us winning. And we need to see our very deep and talented defensive line be the story of the game. If they can put pressure on Chad Kelly, you know, we've seen CC Jefferson getting a start this week because he's been, you know, relatively productive in his, you know, time here at UF. If guys like McAllister and Jefferson are living in the backfield, uh, this could go our way. I think we could really hang in there. I I don't know. It's going to be tough. Uh, let me go ahead and ask you though. What do you think? Give me a, give me a stat, maybe yardage or, um, turnovers or running, passing yards, rushing yards, something that might key us, whether we do it or not, might lead us to winning. I think the biggest thing is going to be holding them to under, I think in order for us to win, we have to have a great defensive day. So we need to hold them under 350 yards of offense, which normally in a normal game, you'd say, well, wait a minute, that's a lot of yards, but this is a team that, that's putting it on people. I think we have a shot to win if we hold them under 350. I think we win the game if we hold them under 275. So that, that's really the only number that's going to matter to me. If we can have a great defensive game, we hold them under 275, which would literally be taking away 60% of their production, we can win the game. I'm not sure we can win any other way if I look at the stats, unless something really zany happens. We have to control them on offense, and it has to be a dominating performance, which would, which would be you know holding under 275. Uh, that's the main thing on the scoreboard, on the stat sheet that I'll be looking for. How about you? I think we're going to need a decent day from Calvin Taylor and any of the other running backs who get in there, you know, just to take some of the pressure off Greer. If if we can get, uh, you know, 150 yards rushing from our running backs, not including Will's rushing, uh, I think that will be a sign that we're able to control the ball and move the ball and be uh, – you know, two-dimensional and not just relying on third and long Will Greer standing up under pressure because that's not going to work. No, it's definitely not. So give me a score then. Let's get – here we are. You know, we both had the Gators at 4-0 in our preseason picks. We both had the Gators at 4-0 during our first quarter visit of the picks. And and here we are at a game at Old Miss. What do, you, what do you have? Well, I said in both slots that I thought the Gators – would lose, and I'm going to have to stay with that. I just haven't seen us put together four quarters, which I think we're going to need to do to beat a team like Ole Miss. So I'm going to say Ole Miss 30, Gators 20. Yeah, I really actually like that score, and by like I mean I hate it because <laughs> I, I don't want to pick Ole Miss. I don't want to pick Ole Miss. I know that feels hurtful. Yeah, that feels right to me. That feels right to me. You know, I, I have, I actually have old, old Miss at, at 30, and I have us at 23, um, which is, you know, a push in the spread column. I have fears that it, they could be a significant blowout because we're still a young and fragile team. And then I also have a belief that we could, we could win this game. But if I'm putting, you know, percentages on it, to me, there's probably 15% chance we win. 50 to 60 percent chance that they that they win by seven ish points and then the rest that they blow us out so that feels right to me you know 30 something to 20 something feels right yeah that that sounds right right i'm right there with you yeah we didn't talk about this obviously before with regards to our score so it's funny that you and i are kind of right right literally in in the same spot there i hope we're both really wrong exactly well i think it should be an incredible atmosphere 
in the swamp. We've got a you know top ten ranked opponent, and you know this team is playing with for nothing to lose. You know they're four zero. They got a chance to celebrate that. No one's expecting them to beat Ole Miss. They can just play with aggression and get out there and get it done. And I think that's gonna you know the confidence they picked up in the last couple of weeks. We could see play out here and you know see Ole Miss like maybe. I don't know, crumple under the pressure of being a top-ranked team. I would welcome a chance to mosh fit in the swamp again and lose my voice all over again in a few days from now. I would absolutely welcome that. Well, good. I hope I'm right there along with you uh, mosh pitting it away. All right, we're going to take a chance right now to talk to somebody from Ole Miss, uh, a very close friend of mine, a guy named Russell Flint, and let's bring him on now. So every week on Gator Nation Football Podcast, we like to talk to somebody from enemy territory, a viewpoint from the opposing team, and we've talked to a lot of different kinds of people, and we thought, what better way to experience Ole Miss than to talk to a fan? Because I think the Ole Miss Miss experience is defined not so much by their football team's record or performance, but by their fandom. So I thought, what better person to talk to than my old friend Russell Flint, Russell lives and works in Birmingham, but he's a graduate of Ole Miss. His father attended Ole Miss, and his parents live there now. So he's has deep roots there in the program and has been a longtime fan. Russell, thanks for being on this week. Yeah, man. I appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. So the quote from Ole Miss that I've heard frequently is, we may have lost a game, but we've never lost a party. <laughs> Can you just tell me a little bit about the experience of being an Ole Miss fan and some of the culture in and around Oxford? I can. It's uh, that's close. It's we may not win every game, <laughs> but we ain't never lost a party. There's yeah, no lose like in the quote, Alan. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean that that quote. Some some fans hate that quote because you know they they're kind of like me. We want to win and we want to build a good program and and win in the SEC that kind of thing. And some people. It's just a part of the culture that's developed where um, tailgating is kind of considered an art there. And, uh, you know, tailgating is tailgating. It's fun everywhere. But um, they just do it up really big. There's this giant, you know, grove of trees in the middle of campus. And so it's kind of like a tradition for people to the night before try to reserve their spot. There are companies that, like, set up tents and reserve spots now. People get pretty dressed up, um, especially like the college girls and the guys get pretty dressed up. And um, it's just kind of like an event. And all the guys like take dates to the games a lot of times. And, um, you know, and families go back. People have elaborate um, picnic spreads, like really good food. So it's just a fun atmosphere. And um, and so a lot of opposing schools love to come when they're playing Ole Miss because it's a really fun tailgating atmosphere. So it's kind of like a, a bucket list tailgate thing for a lot of people, but Ole Miss people are really proud of it, but um, there's a lot of fans also who don't want to only be known for that, and so they, they don't like that statement very much, even though I think it's funny. Yeah, and I mean, every every college broadcast that's there in Ole Miss always mentions the Groves. I've never right. been, but I've always wanted to go. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, the Ole Miss program has been up and down uh, mm-hmm. in you know throughout its history, but of course, right now is you know flying high. I know all of the Ole Miss fans I know are really excited about this team. The last couple of years have been you know you know some highs and lows within them, but mm-hmm. on the way up. So tell me what it's like for sure. the Ole Miss fans right now. How are they feeling? 
Oh, yeah. I mean, fans are crazy about this team right now. And I think, you know, we'll have some good years where we'll be top 15, top 10 team like a couple years with Houston Nutt. And then, you know, he didn't really recruit. And so then the program just went in the toilet after that. And then years before that, had some good years with Tuberville and David Cutcliffe. So it's just, it's very roller coastery, very up and down. But, um, you know, I definitely think it's something that kind of sticks in Ole Miss fans' kind of crawl, if you will. Like, you know, that they, we've won the West once, but we haven't been to Atlanta yet because, you know, we tied with LSU and they won the head to head in 2003, I think. Um, and so, you know, that's just like for the big sports fans, that's kind of like, hey, we, this is ridiculous. We can, we can do this at some point. And I think, whether it's this year or another year, I think Hugh Freeze will get them there. I think, you know, the way he's recruiting, he's finally got an attitude of, you know, we need to bring in the best players, period, and do what we can do. And fans like that. Um, so I think people are probably super high on, you know, the recruiting classes we've had and our opportunity this year. Um, and it's definitely there. But for someone like me, I try to be a realist. You know, it's, they definitely have a great chance, but um, I, I'm trying to just kind of take it a week at a time because, I mean, Alabama was tough, and then we got a tough game coming up this weekend. So, so yeah, and speaking of Ole Miss on both offense and defense, a lot of stars there, you know, with Kim Dichie mm-hmm. and Treadwell. Uh, what is Ole Miss like to do on offense and defense? What do you think they're good at? I mean, Freeze loves tempo offense. He, um, you know, it's it's not like a – fun and gun but it's it's all about timing and um chad kelly is a really good passer right now we've um i think we're pretty lucky to get him we've got we've got possibly the best receiving core in the country so he wants to throw it but he wants to use the run to set up the throw and that's where we're kind of hit and miss um as good as a recruiting job as he has done i don't think he's really landed like that kind of superstar back like you know old florida fans like a fred taylor kind of type back who can just you know, kill you if you just pound the rock with him. But we do have some good running backs, Jordan Wilkins and Jalen Wilk and Jalen Walton. Um, we've just got to kind of use them right. And our, we have good offensive linemen, but we're fairly banged up, and we, we're still trying to figure out if Laramie Tunsil is going to play or not. Um, if we could get him back, that would solve a lot of problems on the offensive line and help the running game immensely. Um, they've held up pretty well so far in pass rush and that kind of thing, playing against Alabama, but – um, just in the course of an SEC season, his offense is not going to work as well if he can't set it up with the run sometimes. Because you saw, like in the Vanderbilt game, they were playing cover two defense and ma- and man underneath, and that takes away the deep ball. And if Chad Kelly's not on, and we can't run, it's going to be a bad day. So um, defensively, am I still going? Am I? Still- am I- <laughs> uh, defensively, I mean we're one of the top top defense in the nation, but they have a lot of room for improvement, both offense and defense. I think the key in Gainesville is, is third down. Um, we've got to convert third downs, and they've got to get off the field on defense on third down. And so right now defense leads the SEC in turnovers, but they're struggling on third down. They're like 12th in the SEC on getting off the field, and Florida is like last in converting third down. So whoever kind of gets better at that between the two teams I think is probably going to – have a much better shot at winning. Okay, Russell, I am now going to ask you a couple controversial questions. Are you ready for this? <laughs> I'm ready. So I, I know Stuart Mandel, a national college football writer, has this, um, I guess, effect he calls the Ole Miss Clemson syndrome, where 
feels like the gap between the expectations of the fan base and the equilibrium of the team is the largest. Uh, mm-hmm. How, what would you say to that? Um, I would say that's, that's probably true somewhat for every fan base, but um, uh, I'd never thought about it in talk, terms of Clemson because Clemson, you know, they're, they're ranked top 10 pretty much every year and then they just shoot themselves in the foot. Um, but uh, I definitely would probably say Ole Miss has a rabid um, section of the fan base that um, they think, you know, we're in the SEC, we should be able to compete for this for every every year. And a lot of it has had to do with, you know, we've had some athletic directors that weren't that great, and we've had some terrible hires. Ed Orgeron, you know, never should have been hired. Um, but people kind of think, well, who cares? We should win. And then it's like, if you don't have the good coach, you don't have the recruiting chops, then you're not going to get the right players. And you're, we don't, we aren't in Florida, so we have to go to Florida to the, you know, the best recruiting grounds and bring players from there. And if you don't have a guy who can really do it, it doesn't matter how much your fan base expects. So I think that's probably a fair assessment on his part. Not all Ole Miss fans would probably tell you that, but the ones who are realistic would tell you um, that, you know, I think we're a program on the rise and I think freeze will keep us there. But, you know, for people, if, if they start thinking like Alabama fans, you know, where they're, <laughs> they think they should win every single game, you know, you can drive yourself crazy like that. And um, I think for the first time, our expectations and our talent level are a little closer together in a while. And that's a, that's a good thing. I'm very excited about that. But um, being in the SEC, you know, you just you can't expect to win all the time. Of course. So you mentioned recruiting. I will say, I will say to inter- interrupt you, I do think like SEC Network and the money and stuff like that has helped level the playing field a lot for a smaller – like Ole Miss is probably 19,000 undergrad, whereas Florida is like, I don't know, 50,000 total from when I lived there. So it's just they're very different um, size schools, so you got to kind of think all that money helps a lot to level the playing field. I think you might be onto something there with that. And when we're talking about recruiting, uh, so the, a lot of the stars of this old Miss, old Miss, you know, team come from that recruiting class of a couple of years ago. And uh, mm-hmm. I know that James, the intrepid reporter, is wanting me to ask, what are your thoughts on a lot of the controversy around that group of players? A lot of people made some accusations about um, there being some, I guess, shady business when it comes to that. When it comes to that class. Um, <laughs> Do you have any thoughts on that? Or as someone who's a little bit of insider to the program, I mean, are you worried about looming NCAA sanctions? No, I'm not. I mean, I know the NCAA is dealing with Laramie Tunsil right now, who is our stud offensive lineman for that class, but that has nothing to do with um, with what happened when he's recruited. That happened. He made a mistake this past summer and or had like a loaner car for too long when his car was getting worked on. And uh, so I don't really know what that – what that situation is going to come out, all the kind of websites and inside sources that I hear say it, it's going to get worked out at some point, but, you know, there's also a chance he might never play at Ole Miss again. But basically from the people I talk to in here, the NCAA has been kind of camped out in Oxford for three years trying to figure out, okay, did something happen or did something not happen? Because, you know, these guys had – they did okay, but then they all of a sudden got this – there, we were always top 20 class, but then all of a sudden we were top five. And um, they haven't been able to find anything. There just hasn't been anything to, to find, from what I understand. Um, from what I know of Hugh Freeze, from just maybe being around him. And um, 
and from hearing about him, other like I'm a pastor here in Birmingham. I know some guys who are pastors in Oxford. Freeze is a pretty strong believer um, or Christian. Um, I just it seems to go against his character, but at the same time, you know, there's the people that say, well, everybody does it. You know, people who are upset about Tunsil getting in trouble for this loaner car. You know, I have friends here in Alabama, you know, where it's like every school has a lunatic fringe. Alabama has a lunatic majority. I mean, they're like, well, that loaner car happens pretty much every day at Auburn, Alabama. So, you know, it may be a case of everybody does it and people don't like, you know, new kids trying to sit at the big boy table. Um, But from what I've heard, the NCAA has dug and dug and they can't find anything. So, um so I, I would say no, but, um, you know, I, I'm also the first to say, hey, I'm, I've got Ole Miss glasses on probably somewhat in that. So, you know, I would ask James, you know, if he thinks Florida has ever done anything, you know, uh, you know, not above board, you know. I love it. I'm sure they're always, you know, just saints on the Gators. Uh, no, totally. We have, we have never done anything wrong. <laughs> I can vouch for I know, all yeah, of our Urban, coaches. Urban, Urban Meyer had the cleanest program in America. For he sure. did, you know, saintly Urban yeah. Meyer. Um, yeah, well, you can't go wrong with Aaron Hernandez. I'm just saying. Well, Russell, I knew you would give us real straight answers, and I love it, you know taking a few shots at Auburn, Alabama. That's always welcome here on the podcast. <laughs> uh, okay, so give me your thoughts. I know this is obviously, you know, biased as our predictions are somewhat too. I'm sure, but try to be as thoughtful and unbiased as you possibly can be. Give me your prediction for this week. What do you think is going to happen in the game and give me a score? Um, well, as an Ole Miss fan, I'm terrified of the game. I think I, I thought it was definite possible trap game for us on the schedule. I think um, Ole Miss should win. I don't think they'll be intimidated going into the swamp if they just come from Tuscaloosa. They've won, you know, program-wise, we've won two in a row in the swamp, but those were both day games. So, you know, I'm interested – to see, you know, how are they going to do at night. And I think it's going to come down to turnover battle. Um, like I said, who who gets off the field on third down, who converts third downs. Um, I kind of think it's kind of like uh, last year Ole Miss played Texas A&M and, um, and, and at, at A&M, and they jumped on them really quick, put the crowd out of the game, and, and it was over. I think, you know, if they can get on Florida, win, win the turnovers, they should win. I think top-end talent-wise, as far as starters, Ole Miss is better right now. I wouldn't be surprised if Florida might be a little bit deeper. Um, Alabama was definitely deeper than Ole Miss. So, you know, um, I think Ole Miss is the better team. Florida has a freshman quarterback. They should win. But if they let it stay too close and, you know, it's nighttime in the swamp and the crowd is loud, you know, and especially if they play the way they did last week against Vanderbilt, um, some people say, well, maybe they're in a hangover from Alabama. Some of the players said they didn't prepare as well. That's all fine. But if they play that way, I think Florida will win because Florida should be excited. Um, if I had to predict right now, I still think from the team I saw play at Alabama, I think I would pick us to win maybe 28-17, 28-24, 28-14, somewhere in there. Um, but to me, it's going to come down to offensive line, being able to block Florida's defense and can our defense kind of rattle Greer and get in there and hit him. Well, Russell Flint, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Great to talk to yeah, you. Man. I'm and, honored. Uh, worst of luck to you this weekend. <laughs> Likewise. I hope, uh, I hope y'all all get a stomach virus or something, but um, I think that's already happened. Otherwise, otherwise I lived in Gainesville and uh, I love, I love the Gators all but one day a year if we're playing y'all. So 
All right. Thanks again. Chomp, chomp. Yeah, bro. Thanks for having me. And with that, it'll bring our episode to a close. I really enjoyed hearing Russell's comments. I was unable to be an interviewer with you this week, Alan, since I was in Maryland, but certainly enjoyed listening to those. And before we exit, what was your favorite moment from Saturday's game in the Swamp? There were a ton of them. But I think that moment when Greer hit Callaway on the pass and where we were in the stadium, you could see Brandon Powell behind him. And once he made that turn, like like the end of the play flashed before my mind and I just like I probably almost passed out and he turned that corner and was gone. I mean, I I don't know if I've yelled harder than that in my entire life. It was crazy. What about you? <laughs> Same exact thing. I remember him turning the corner, and I remember jumping as high as I possibly could on the bleachers, landing on the bleachers, and just thinking a variety of things like, one, you're probably going to kill yourself when this bleacher bleacher breaks, and two, grab onto everyone around you to brace yourself, and three, just the mayhem that ensued with the nine or ten of us jumping up and down, falling over the bleachers, and just the bedlam in the stadium. It's one of those moments that you just wouldn't have wanted to miss. And that will definitely stick with me forever as a, as a super fun time watching Callaway turn the corner. And with that, hopefully we'll create some new memories this weekend. Alan, why don't you take us out? Yeah. So thanks for listening. Really appreciate you guys telling everybody, keep sharing the podcast. If you want to find us on Twitter, our Twitter handle is at Gator nation, FBPC. Gator Nation Football Podcast. And then our Facebook page, Gator Nation Football Podcast. Give us a like, share it, subscribe to it on iTunes. Do whatever you got to do. Love you guys. And we'll see you next week. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all stages or situations. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Oh, the moon. Yeah. That's Hugo tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. hi This next one's for you, too. There's... A burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations.